from WAMU 88.5. This is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro. Happy anniversary, Paul. How would you grade yourself? I I don't grade myself. You know, I've got so much to do. I'm not focusing on that. All right, then we'll ask Metro Riders and our panelists one year after Paul Wiedefeld took the helm of America's second busiest subway. I need Metro for just about everything. It's a year of gripes, sacrifices, overdue reforms, and political hand grenades. Fire in the Hole, episode 25 of Metropocalypse, blows up now. The D.C. Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. I continue to do what I think is best for this agency. That's what I was brought in to do, and I'll continue to do The Metro that we had before isn't ever something we can exactly have again. We can have a system that works and is safe and maybe has most of the hours, but it's never going to be everything that it once was. What a week. What a month, what a year at WMATA. Here to talk about the changes and the challenges facing Paul Wiedefeld and his more than one million daily customers are Lauren Gardner, transportation reporter with Politico Pro. Welcome back, Lauren. Hello, Martin. And David Alpert, the founder of Greater Greater Washington. Good to be here, Martin. Are you sure about that? Absolutely. I gave you a hard time last time, so, you know. More like two times ago, that was the problem. Okay, let's start with three Big stories. Number one, Metro's board is a step closer to permanently, at least for the next two years, cutting service hours to make way for preventive maintenance. Here's the proposal. If this passes, the rail system would close 1 a.m. Friday and Saturday nights, 11.30 Monday through Thursday, and 11 p.m. on Sunday nights. Story number two. A couple of D.C. board members lob a bomb across the river, and a Northern Virginia congressman sticks it right back in their face. The question, should district officials talk about canceling the Silver Line extension to Dulles Airport unless Virginia gives Metro more money? And story number three, new details about what led to the derailment of a Silver Line train in July. Transcripts of interrogations of Metro track inspectors indicate they didn't know how to do their jobs and were pressured by their supervisors not to report track problems. All of this is happening while we celebrate an anniversary. at the Metropocalypse podcast are taking stock of Paul Wiedefeld's first year as the top man at Metro. So much has changed, even if riders can't always tell from the outside, and that's because trains are late just as frequently today as they were a year ago, and Metro's budget is a mess. More on those changes in a moment with our two guests, but first I want to introduce you to a couple of commuters who aren't sure if this marriage is built to last. Welcome to Union Station during morning rush hour, except this is not Metro's red line platform. It's a marked train, slowly arriving, packed with Maryland to D.C. commuters. And it's Alan Heyman's new choice of travel. He started riding Mark to avoid Metro's safe track disruptions. So what I discovered was something that for me is faster to get to. The station is actually closer to my house. It's less expensive. Uh, and it's more comfortable. Fast, reliable, comfortable. Those words aren't often used to describe Metro. The Transit Authority is bleeding riders. Its finances are in dire shape and public confidence is at a low point. Heyman says he's rooting for Paul Wiedefeld, but he's not going back to Metro. Am I personally frustrated by not knowing when exactly Metro will be up to its full you know, operating capacity? Not really. Stephen Poe doesn't have that luxury. The Northeast D.C. resident has a developmental disability. He can't drive or ride a bike to his grocery store job. 
most people can either ride the metro or they can get on that car and go wherever they want. People with disability don't have that option. Poe's ability to get to work on time hinges on whether Wiedefeld can get the trains to run on time. I need metro for just about everything. Because if I can't if I can't have transportation, my boss won't give me overtime. And if I don't have overtime, it makes it harder for me to pay my bills. Such are the stories that populate the metro universe. From the outside, it's hard to discern progress. Trains are late just as frequently now as they were when Wiedefeld took over. Look, I mean, it seemed like SafeTrack came in because they had some fires and they had some people die. So I don't know if there's a difference yet. I mean, I don't I don't trust that in a year, we can be absolutely ensured that it will be perfectly safe. Lise Clavel lives in Eastern Market. She's 30 weeks pregnant, but that hasn't stopped her from using a creative option to get to work. She jogs five miles round trip every day to her job in downtown D.C. It's not a permanent solution, and I don't love the cold. So there you have it, a Maryland commuter who abandoned Metro, a D.C. worker who relies on it, and someone else getting some exercise. Let's ask our panelists how they'd assess the Wiedefeld era at year one. We have Lauren Gardner of Politico Pro here and David Alpert of Greater Greater Washington. David, let's start with you. Paul Wiedefeld has been in the job for one year now, and I think he's making a lot of progress. He said at one point, maybe about six months ago, he still wasn't sure he'd found the bottom. And we really saw a good example of that with the revelation that actually was uh, you had reported a month ago, but released by the National Transportation Safety Board, that inspectors were falsifying reports about track inspections. Paul Wiedefeld has a lot of work to do to ferret out the problems with Metro, both all the actual maintenance problems, the equipment not working, like train cars not working, and then his organizational culture problems, people in the organization who aren't doing their jobs, and aren't being forced to do their jobs. I think he just has an enormous number of tasks at hand, and he's making good progress against them. There are so many. How's he doing at communicating what he's accomplishing? He's admitted he's got to do better there. That's right. He is definitely making a lot of progress, especially compared to his predecessor, Richard Sarles. There's also a ways to go here, too, as with the maintenance itself. For example, when he came out with the proposal to cut late night service. At first, it was more just communicated that, hey, we need more hours. We want to cut late night service. There wasn't a lot of depth. And as people in the press, riders, experts were asking questions, they couldn't always get a really good understanding of, well, why do you really need this? Don't other systems work with fewer hours for maintenance and they're still able to keep up? What's different here? Eventually, recognizing that that was needed, he started setting up interviews with his top maintenance people to actually go through in detail. They made a much more detailed presentation to the board of directors later on, and that was was helpful. But that's one example, and with every issue, the same thing can happen. Lauren Gardner of Political Pro, you're not only a transportation reporter, you are a metro rail rider, as are David and I. You ride the yellow line from Alexandria into the city. There have been several disruptions because of safe track there, plus a speed restriction right now near the airport that's not going to be lifted anytime soon. Do you get a sense from commuters that they feel like they're getting good information about what's going on? I think Metro has stepped up communicating that there is a speed restriction there because in the beginning, like, we would communicate on Twitter about how they're exchanged tweets. Yes. There were a lot of questions about what exactly is going on here. And, you know, I knew from covering Metro that there had been the near miss with the FTA inspectors in that region. But 
it wasn't clear initially and Metro wasn't being very clear that that was what this was stemming from. But I think uh, I've noticed on my commutes when I don't have my earphones blasting that they they are letting riders know that there is a speed restriction here. We will be moving momentarily. David Alpert of Greater Greater Washington. Unlike Lauren or me, you have the freedom to editorialize a little bit here. What's your position? Do you support the proposal to uh, that got preliminary approval to close the system 1 a.m.? Friday and Saturday nights, 11.30, Monday through Thursday night, 11 p.m. on Sundays for two years, then it sunsets and the board can renew it. It's definitely not a good thing that it's necessary, but I think that Paul Wiedefeld and the Metro staff have made the case that it is necessary, and therefore I do support the board moving forward with what they have approved. Having a uh, sunset on this late night is a good idea. I'm glad that uh, the D.C. representatives in particular pushed for it because while Metro has said we need to do more hours of maintenance, board members raised the question, well, are you really going to take advantage of those hours fully? Or if we give you a bunch of hours, will you then not be fully using them? And it's worthwhile to force Metro to have the opportunity to do its maintenance, but then actually show that it's taking advantage of that opportunity. Well, this is not just a technical issue when it comes to passing a, a really a, a historic you know, change in Metro service hours. They've been running 3 a.m. trains on the weekends for quite a long time. It's a political issue as well, and we know who is against the two-year preventive maintenance program. That is D.C. Council Member Jack Evans. Here is Evans during the board hearing last week. I have gotten calls from the unions, from the restaurants, from everyone I represent. And again, I will point out I have 12 metro stops in my ward. I have 50% of the liquor licenses in the city and 70% of the hotel rooms. And they're all extremely upset that the district is willing to compromise on this issue. As of right this moment, he has not announced whether for sure the district will go ahead and use what's called the jurisdictional veto to block the plan. Here's General Manager Paul Wiedefeld giving one of his more forceful defenses as to why they need these overnight blocks of time to conduct preventive maintenance and inspections. I've got to deal with what, again, what we have in front of us. And I know what we have in front of us, and I think we, we, we uh, define very clearly what we need to start to do in terms of preventive maintenance. And it's been repeatedly told to us by NTSB, FTA, every peer agency has come in here and has said that repeatedly. You do not have enough time to do what you're supposed to be doing just to, main, to do preventive maintenance so you don't fall back into a situation where you've gotten into a safe track type of environment. And Secretary of Transportation Anthony Fox has appointed federal board members who support the idea of safety maintenance before service. One of them is Robert Lobby. He's the chief safety officer at the Federal Railroad Administration, a career safety expert who did not cower to Evans's veto threats. He went ahead and passed this two-year plan when the district is saying one year and one year only. It seems that two years versus one year seems like maybe it's more of a, of a negotiating issue. Two years would be a good amount of time to understand whether Metro is really taking advantage of its time or not. Yeah, they say they need the data of two years, that one year doesn't supply enough data. That's right. The One of the challenges here is that riders have gotten accustomed to the Metro system that we had five, ten years ago, where it was able to run until 3 a.m. It didn't have constant track fires. The trains weren't breaking down all the time. And what Paul Wiedefeld and his safety people have tried to make very clear is that that was never a sustainable way to run Metro. 
that was all operating on borrowed maintenance, that they weren't taking the time to fix things as they were gradually, gradually deteriorating. And therefore, the system was just getting worse and worse underneath us in a way that we couldn't see because general managers and boards at that time were trying to paper over the problems. So it was rotting from underneath, and nobody was fixing it or admitting to it. He's essentially saying there's no way that that can happen again. And it's something that a lot of riders maybe really need to understand that if he's right, and I think largely he seems to have made that case, the metro that we had before isn't ever something we can exactly have again. We can have a system that works and is safe and maybe has most of the hours, but it's never going to be everything that it once was. Dave Alpert is the founder of Greater Greater Washington, Lauren Gardner, a reporter with Politico Pro. I'm Martin DeCaro, and coming up, Metro comes to Congress. Northern Virginia Congressman Jerry Connolly versus D.C. Councilman and Metro Board Chair Jack Evans. So we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago that we titled Metro Politics, and we're back in the political realm again. There was another hearing on the Hill House Oversight Committee that was chaired by John Micah, uh, and this was his last one because he lost his election, and there was some praise for him uh, and the time he spent in Washington and uh, maybe the support he's given to Metro while also criticizing it, Lauren Gardner. This was a big deal in, in Michael World for sure. He's he's definitely <laughs> Michael World. Yeah, Michael World. He's staked his reputation on being a big transportation voice on Capitol Hill, and he's certainly not been shy about expressing opinions on how Metro's doing. He kinda of went easy compared to the earlier hearing in the year. Yeah, this hearing didn't really tread new ground, but it was definitely a bit more subdued. There were flashes here and there, yeah. but it was way calmer than the last yes. one that we covered. Jerry Connolly, Virginia Democrat, uh, Northern Virginia took exception to some remarks that D.C. Council member Jack Evans and Corbett Price, who is the other member of the Metro Board representing the district, made earlier in the week about canceling the Silver Line should Virginia not give Metro more money. Let's listen to what Jerry Connolly said to Jack Evans. Mr. Evans, I don't need a lecture about the current condition of Metro. I know it intimately. I'm asking you a question about what you and Mr. Price were getting at in threatening Virginia's largest investment in Metro, which, by the way, involves federal funding. And I'm here to suggest to you that your comments and those of Mr. Price were cheap and reckless and have huge implications on my side of the river. You don't want, at least you say you don't want, we apologize for the audio quality there. Jerry Connolly was kind of barking into the microphone. Lauren Gardner of Politico Pro, we were both in that hearing together. The repercussions that Jerry Connolly is talking about, what does he mean? From his perspective, that kind of talk isn't helpful when these metro officials come to the Hill and ask for more money, especially like Jack Evans, who has been doing it repeatedly, saying that the federal government has a role to play in the operating budget for metro. From Connolly's point of view, if you're going around saying that the Silver Line maybe should be shut down and that was partially paid for with federal funding, that's not making a good case to members of Congress who are, are already skeptical of the idea of funneling more money towards the system. You know, the Silver Line is halfway done to Dulles, I think about 50 percent complete, 47 percent is one number I saw cited, canceling the project or just maybe figuring out another way to, to pay for its operations just sounded desperate to the members of Congress who were at that hearing uh, asking Jack Evans, hey, well, you're asking 
Virginia to pay more while you're against even raising bus fares in the district, 25 cents. Here's Jack Evans' response. He was really subdued during this hearing. When the Silver Line is complete, given the projections, Metro will then be losing hundreds of millions of dollars a year to operate the Silver Line. So Mr. Price, who is one of the most successful African-American businessmen in the country and is a turnaround specialist, looking at this as a business, was saying, how are we going to afford to operate the Silver Line to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars a year when we are losing three to four hundred million dollars a year already? Well, David Alpert, the answer would be higher jurisdictional subsidies because there's not going to be probably a federal appropriation for the operating budget. There's not going to be a dedicated funding source in the form of a regional sales tax. What's your take on this spat that blew up last week? It's true that a lot of members, especially Virginia people, seem to be reacting badly to the approach that Jack Evans is taking. And Corbett Price. And Corbett Price. I think if I were Jack, were Jack or Corbett, I, I might respond that you know all the other methods weren't working either. In the past, members of the board have been more genteel about talking about Metro's problems, and Congress didn't give any money then either. Uh, jurisdictions would up their subsidies, but they weren't solving the problem either. What the D.C. representatives now seem to be trying to do is make these problems at Metro something that no one can ignore. And I do think I can see how that is, you know, banging a lot of pots and making a lot of noise and maybe breaking some things, but it wasn't getting fixed another way. And so I, I, I hope that ultimately whatever approach is needed, we need a situation where at least the chief executives of Maryland and Virginia, as well as D.C., are much more held accountable for the problems at Metro than they are. On that note, I asked Jack Evans whether he's willing to change his style to win more allies on Capitol Hill if he feels like he is alienating all the members who told him to his face, not just Jerry Connolly, who, by the way, was jabbing his finger in Evans' direction, to his face saying it's not working. Here's Jack Evans' response. Uh, no, I, I, I actually didn't get that impression either. And I've had a chance, as you know, to meet personally with uh, most of them. And uh, our discussions are, are actually quite good. And so I think my job is to continue to make sure that the region is aware of the problems. And if some people get upset about that because I call them out, so be it. So Lauren Gardner, uh, they all get along behind closed doors. There's these hearings, they like to yell at each other. Yeah, that's generally the way it works on Capitol Hill. Another issue that was dealt with out in the open again was who should be doing oversight of Metro Rail safety. And this issue became timely again for a legitimate reason. Uh, we know that in July, a train derailed at East Falls Church on the Silver Line. And we know that the inspection reports that were filed previous to that accident did not accurately reflect the status of the tracks. The tracks were deteriorating badly on the verge of an accident. And for reasons that aren't entirely clear, it appears that the inspection reports may have been falsified. There is an ongoing police investigation. So during this hearing, the executive director of the Federal Transit Administration, a bureaucrat I'd never heard of before, Matthew Welbis, was grilled by a member of Congress. I think it was Mark Meadows, correct? Yeah. How many more people have to die before we get you to act in a, the appropriate manner? And what happened there that was so noteworthy? So Welbus admitted partial fault or responsibility for the derailment at East Falls Church after Meadows repeatedly you know, kind of went after him trying to get FTA to acknowledge some part in the whole situation. Are you partially at fault? FTA's in, in, a bill, in lack of authority has been a contributor, yes. You just told me you had the authority. 
Now, you can't have it both ways. Are you partially at fault? Sure, sir. He seemed like he was just surrendering in the exchange at that point. So the NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board, independent safety oversight investigatory body, recommended that the Federal Railroad Administration handle metro safety oversight. It instead is the Federal Transit Administration. Riders don't pay attention to this bureaucratic battling. But I think from the exchange during the hearing, what I concluded was it comes down to Metro's ability to follow its own safety rules. It was repeatedly mentioned that Metro has good safety rules. It just doesn't follow them all the time. That's right. And that's the point that FTA has been making to, to this point all along is that, you know, they're there to guide Metro, but it, it comes down to Metro and their responsibility to follow their own safety standards. At the heart of all this, this debate between FRA or FTA, this alphabet soup, it's Congress's decision, and they have not decided to go that route. So that's why FTA is in the position that it's in. In medicine, I think the term is called uh, diagnosis bias, that uh, it seems like the problem is more common now, but it's only because you're diagnosing it more often. And when it comes to speed restrictions, and Lauren, you rolled your eyes before when I mentioned the speed restriction near the airport on the yellow line that you're always getting stuck in. Every day. These track Mm -hmm. problems are always out there. It's now that Metro is paying more attention to them. Employees are reporting them more often. They're not being retaliated against like they used to be. At least that was the allegation. And General Manager Paul Wiedefeld saying he's trying to create an atmosphere where employees come forward to report these things. But folks can't have short memories here, right? If you're going to be in a speed restriction, it's because previously Metro would run trains over tracks that were potentially faulty. David Alpert, final thoughts on Wiedefeld's first year and how his job might be more difficult because he can't point to that date where the light is at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. What you were saying about the speed restriction is a perfect example of everything we've been talking about, including from the communication to fixing problems. Metro had so many problems, and for a long time, general managers, board members, communications people, and others seemed to be operating in a mode where they thought, if only we can keep everyone from knowing the scale of this problem and fix things, all the problems will go away. What happened instead was those problems got worse. People, either the federal government or riders or journalists, found out about them, and it seemed all the worse that Metro had been covering up the scale of its issues. And that made it harder to ask for more money when no one would admit that they needed that money and what they would do with it. So Paul Wiedefeld has been trying to get the agency to a place where it says, we're going to admit to all of the things, and if the a train needs to run slower, we'll run it slower, and we'll admit to people that we're doing so. Come up with a plan. You know, he's start making a start with his back-to-good plan, and there's a lot more to do, and then getting it fixed. We should cheer on that process and hope he can succeed. And Lauren Gardner, great unknown is a new administration is coming. One, one of the things hanging over Metro's head is the February 9th deadline for getting the, um, the state safety oversight body The Metro Safety Commission. The Metro Safety Commission, which Maryland and Virginia have admitted is not going to be through their legislatures by that point, which everyone pretty much had assumed would would happen, how will Trump's FTA deal with that deadline? Will they actually enforce withholding federal funds or will they take a different approach? Ah, yes, the Trump administration's FTA. I think I'm going to be busy next year. But before this year is out, three big developments you can look forward to in next week's podcast. Number one, the final vote is coming on whether Metro Rail should close early seven nights a week for two years, effective July 1st. 
Number two, Metro will release a report on its police investigation into the East Falls Church derailment in July. Five months later, we'll find out if anyone's been charged. And number three, the man himself, Paul Wiedefeld. He will ride the green line with me. And if you were coming, what would you ask him? Send us a question at our Metro Apocalypse Facebook group. That's a wrap for episode number 25. Thanks to Lauren Gardner and Dave Alpert. Metro Apocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney. Andy McDaniel is WAMU's director of content. Alicia Montgomery is our editorial director. I'm Martin DeCaro. Thanks for listening.